0: on a map we left vegas and i said we need to go here here and here and i just said no interstates just highways and country roads all the way to buena vista colorado so it was a long way and i gave him a rand mcnally he's never seen a rand mcnally <laughs> so uh, so but he was a navigator no technology at all and um he did an excellent job but we were going through this place uh, um this place in, in in arizona and we're just we're just balling through it at you know miles an hour just on some highway in the middle of nowhere and off to my right I just see like really quick like a whole bunch of flags like American, like in the middle of the desert like just middle of the desert and um a whole bunch of these flags and I'm, I'm like wow you see that quiller and we my son's quiller and we just kept on driving and then I know in my the picture there was flags that had fallen down in my mind because there's hundreds of these flags And I was like, oh, man, I I can't. I can't. I was like, turn the car around, drive back, and my son and I park, and it's a Navajo war memorial, war veterans graveyard. And somebody had taken the time to put an American flag on every single grave, and there were hundreds of graves, all the way back to the Korean War, World War II. So we spent a good couple hours walking around this rattlesnake pit, Fixing American flags and putting them back up, and zip tying them, and using baling wire, and throughout my that 50 time, cord, whatever we could find, yeah, like whatever we could find on the ground, a lot of baling wire by hand. You know, we did, I didn't we wanted a rental car. I don't have anything. And um, but the whole time, my son just kept asking questions. He's like, "Where's that? What? What is that? Like, this is this guy? Like, it might be a navy chief from." Korean War or Vietnam or somebody, and what's a chief, you know, and, and then I talk about, you know, a chief, a Navy chief, not an Indian chief, but a Navy chief, and we're talking about, you know, that's what, they, like an E-6 or E-7 and above, and, and these people are really honored by, by Americans in general, then deeper by the Navajo people who are add huge value to our own country even though they probably could kind of have a grudge against us i mean there's yeah, a lot of really have
1: good reason fun. not to serve in their country yeah
0: a lot of amazing conversation about um that 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 we were able to experience just by taking that break and putting the Dory one this is fire team delta dad's coming home
1: welcome to the military veteran dad podcast where it is our mission to bring every dad home I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome to episode 42 of the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. It's almost hard to believe that I just said the number 42 because when I started this, I wanted to say I would be at 42, but deep down, I probably thought I would quit. But here at 42, I can say I haven't quit. If anything, I'm more committed than I was at even at episode one. And it's because of the stories that I hear from you, the dads, the, the, I realize the impact that you're having from hearing these stories and the episodes that we're sharing that, that just renews it even more that I'm going to be. 10 times more committed than I am at 42 at episode 100 and my ability to bring you more value day in and week in, and week out is only going to get better and I am in for the long haul here. So at episode 42, I just want to say thank you and know that I'm not going anywhere and we are going all the way and we're going to do some big things. This week's episode is with Greg Buddha. He is Two weeks after graduating high school in 1993, he was standing on the yellow footprints at MCRD San Diego. Shortly thereafter, he was assigned to the 3rd Light Armored Battalion, then Marine Security Guard Battalion, and finally Alpha one Ford doing forward observer work. In 2003, the artillery battery he was with was deployed to Iraq for OIF-1. He was promoted to Staff Sergeant while he was in country and later separated from the Corps honorably. During his service, he met his Irish wife, earned a bachelor's degree, and caught an unrelenting travel bug. He started working in the jewelry field after active duty and found it to be very interesting. He worked for three companies, learned from the best and the worst, before he started his own. He has a house in Colorado, yet he has called Thailand home since 2006, where he owns two companies. He has a wonderful eight-year-old redheaded boy who's currently very interested in making knives and swords. And today's episode with Greg has got a big, wild amount of stories and wisdom and depth and I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's get started with Greg Boda. Welcome to the show, Greg.
0: Thank you very much. I'm super happy to be here.
1: Do you remember how when we first met, the first time we met each other in face-to-face?
0: I remember it was in Orlando. The details remind me.
1: So I knew who you were because I had seen you on a couple other podcasts. You're kind of like one of the very first, I don't think you were consider yourself a celebrity, but to me, you were a celebrity because I was just entering this this space. And I had just kind of gotten there. I hadn't said hello hello to anybody really that I knew or was connected with. And we were at the coffee shop and Steve Kuhn walks up and you were kind of either hanging with him or you came over to say hello to him. And I knew you and I was like, okay, I'm going to kind of just work my way in there. And I remember that moment I was giving you a whole bunch of podcasts to listen to. And, uh, and that was like the very first moment that I knew you. And then our friendship was kind of evolved. And then we met again at this last military officer conference. And uh, I feel like I might've weirded you out with that first hug though. Did I?
0: No, no, but I do remember our meeting. It's a matter of like, cause I just had done the same thing to Kuhn. Like I had <laughs> just like moments before you had creeped up on him in a conversation with somebody else. So I was like, Hey man, I was going to kind of slide in here like, Oh, I, and you know, he was very gracious of course. And I'm sure I was probably shaking your, I mean, yeah, very great. You know, just, we're just such a nice community of us. That's the great thing about these, our military influencers conference that we meet at is that we met at was all the BS of trade shows. If you've ever been to a trade show unrelated to military, it's like, there's like everybody's a total stranger where we may in fact be strangers, but that thread cuts a lot of the, out of the way and you go right to yeah. it.
1: When I gave you a hug in DC afterwards, I was thinking, I was like, I, I don't think I should just start hugging people for the first time. I'm a hugger too, I, man. It's good. Perfect. Because I, when I when I hugged you, I was like, I think I might have just worded them out. So I'm super glad that I didn't word you out.
0: No, not at all, man. I'm always whenever I hug people or get hugged, especially anybody, I'm always wondering, do they smell my beard oil? Because I wear all kinds of different beard oils
1: <laughs> No, I don't have what a memory of your beard oil.
0: Good. Thank God. Thank God.
1: That's good. Have you have you had people compliment you on your beard oil? Like, wow, that oh, yeah. was a good scent.
0: Tip, oh, I mean, exclusively, like, the, our, our female military vets would say, oh, it's a nice beard oil, you know, because their husbands might have something or something. So I yeah. always give a little shout-out. I only buy our military beard products, actually.
1: <laughs> well, go ahead and unpack a little bit, Greg, about your family and actually a little bit of how you ended up where you are right now.
0: Okay. So my 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 immediate family my wife and my son um uh, if you if you want to kind of go back in time i absolutely cool with that it's a, a, your call um
1: let's start with so, your family and then we'll unpack a little bit more about going in the backwards
0: okay so my wife is from ireland and her and i met in 1997 when i was a marine embassy guard in tanzania so, like my first post from 10, from Twenty Nine Palms, so I'm a former Marine like yourself. My first post from Twenty Nine Palms to get out of Twenty Nine Palms after three or four years in Two Nine, I got on the Embassy Guard program, and my first post was Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. So, um, I met my girlfriend, now my wife, at the Irish Ambassador House to Tanzania at the St. Patrick's Day party. Like, like as best cliches you can kind of get to meet your Irish to be what. So um, we met then. And we uh, we we just hit it off right off the bat, and um, we you know I I went to different embassies. I went to Geneva, then to Dublin, and then back to Africa after Osama bin Laden blew up our embassies. You may remember that in 1998, mm-hmm. embassy in Tanzania and the embassy in Kenya popped, and um, I went right back to Tanzania. I was only recently out of there, and I spoke Swahili pretty well, and I knew everything about the area. So they. My CEO called me, and I was on a plane for that, most of that, you know, a good chunk of that summer, man, probably, you know, a good few months. And then uh, back to Dublin, and then uh, I EAS'd Alpha Active Duty out of Dublin, and um, I joined the Reserves and spent another several years in the Reserves. Uh, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, Emma, she, uh, she stayed in college. She went back to Ireland and, went to, and finished her degree and then immigrated to the United States, And uh, we bought a home in Denver and started getting our stuff together. I'm still doing reserve Iraq kicks off and we spent in 2003, I was in the initial push my unit. That's a whole nother side conversation of what I was a Ford observer at this point for an artillery battery in Colorado and our unit got redesignated. That's another story which we can talk about later. But, um, so, um, I did the Iraq thing came back and I said, okay, I gave the Marine Corps plenty of opportunities to kill me after about 11 years. And, um, and then uh, uh, basically got hired really quickly by a jewelry company that I, I was already working for in the reserves. A jewelry company asked me to come start a company for them overseas, so I did. I didn't know how to do that. Actually, I got fired. I'm sorry, <laughs> I got fired. And the, about a week after I got fired, one of my vendors called me and said, a vendor from Belgium, a diamond company, they called me and said, "Okay, you're." We want to hire you. We need you to come over here, over to Thailand, actually, via Belgium, kind of complicated. But we need you to come start a company for us. And I was like, sure. Okay, Ben, I had absolutely fucking no. Can we swear in this? It's fine. Okay, I had absolutely no idea how to start a company overseas. No idea. However, I did certainly understand that I needed to find where the money was because I had a home. I had debt. I had a more, I had a mortgage. I had a family just being Emma. So you we had, had the American here. dream. Well, yeah, yeah.
1: Giant <laughs> event American event.
0: curse. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I needed to go where the money was, wherever the job was. And that was my first or second or third opportunity in a week that it was called on. That one was a good one. I was like, okay. So I jumped on it. Fast forward, um, a few years and I was running a cup, co- running the, I started a company, built a company, and then another guy, a guy named Tom Shane. He's a big American jeweler in the Midwest and West. I was, he, he called me, he built a big factory here and asked me to be the CEO of that company. I did. I ran that company for a long time. And uh, in the, that's when my wife and I, after God, man, like 10 years probably of being together, we decided, okay, let's drop the pill and plant a family. Right. We'd cleared all the debt. We got our stuff organized. We felt like we, you know, we, we eight month savings plan. We did this big Susie Orman thing and it really worked. When you get a debt, I and mean, this is a sidebar, when you get out of debt you build a reserve, I highly recommend as you're talking to your your transitioning uh military folk, is if you have a reserve of cash, eight or nine months, it is it is like a million pounds off of your back. You're like, I don't care if I get fired, I quit, whatever, I'm good. Like it's this huge safety net. As long as you don't maintain debt, an unreasonable amount of debt. I mean a couple thousand dollars is whatever, but I mean like an unreasonable amount of debt, which is sort of yep. the American typical situation. Yeah. Um, not just the American, I mean the global typical situation. So, like literally, like, like we after many years I've end being on a pill, drop stop the pill, whammo man, like bam, pregnant. <laughs> like it's a like wow. half an hour, half an hour we got like his baby on the docket. So so my son was born in 2010. And uh, so he's just uh, he's just a little nine year old kid. When he and he was born, all, all my my wife's a fan of redhead. So um, I was in the delivery room, and he he's coming out. And I'm like, he's a ginger. <laughs> he's like, yeah. <laughs> we knew it was a boy. but We obviously don't know if he's a redhead. <laughs> so so you waited, have, you
1: woke to, you woke, you waited to find out what sex it was. No, no, we knew it was a
0: boy. We just we just obviously yeah. don't know. Him you know, three arms and whatever, but he's, he was good to go and he came out and it was good. So, so he was born here. I, um, we we live between Bangkok, Thailand, and we're, uh, in and out of Denver and Dublin, Ireland, quite a bit. So we kind of move around. Um, uh, I would say home is pretty much mostly Thailand. Um, because I do have a factory here where we manufacture jewelry for high end American brands and European brands. And we make their jewelry. We've been doing that since about 2011. We started our own company. And then um, that's been going well for for years. I mean, going through the issues of of raising a family here, starting a business here, starting or running other people's businesses, and then saying, forget it, I'm gonna do my own business in a foreign country where there's a lot of weird regulations and there's a lot of atypical barriers that you may, that are harder to even understand a because it's in a different language and b logically it doesn't make sense some of the protocols that you have to have in place and the cost to start a company over here in this country the barrier is very difficult immigration is very difficult these folks know immigration where the united states we're not we're kind of loosey-goosey but these do every 90 days i check in every year i renew my visa by face to face um and when i say every 90 days I check in literally I have to go physically check in with my family and say I'm here. Might as
1: well be a parole Uh,
0: officer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And there's a lot more complications, but they, they, they know where we are Us foreigners are in their country. It's something to, it's a little too heavy handed, but you know, they know where we are. So Mm -hmm. all together, um, I got a little, my wife, my son and I, a little small unit and that's just probably we're, we're not going to have any more kids. That's plenty for us. And, um, I love him to death. He's a good boy. And I got got blessed. I just got lucky and got my, my my wife's just solid. She's just a good, smart, added value to me. she's my partner in the business and she, Mm -hmm. she's my guide in many ways. She's my macro. I'm in the weeds, micromanager sometimes. She kind of slows me down when she needs to, when I need it. So it's, it's a good, we have a good little team.
1: Let's rewind a bit a little back to the first moment of being a dad when you held your son for the first time, what thoughts were going through your
0: head? Great question. I literally told him that I will not, re- I will not have him experience the abuse that I went through. I promised him that as uh, I was, I mean, it's getting a little, little personal I'll share with you. Like my, my biological father died when I was three He's a police officer in Phoenix and drowned on a, on a, scuba trip to mexico just like with his buddies and he went down to rocky point mexico and drowned in 1978 so my mother who had my sister and i my sister's three years older than me suddenly widowed and she couldn't have been i haven't done the numbers but she's probably 25 and boom a widow with two kids and a and now a a pension and a and a widower so so um Throughout between then and you know joining the Marine Corps, it was she she how she dealt with us is very heavy handed. She married another guy, and he was a Navy guy, and he abused us really hard a lot of physical abuse, a lot of mental abuse, a lot of a lot of violence, a lot of weird stuff like stuff that you should. I just shouldn't do to kids, man. Like, really, yeah. you know, like, I don't know, man. Like, my kid, I just say, Hey, stop that, bro, bruh, bruh. <laughs> and he just stops. Like, okay, like, he just I don't need to like take out a two-meter board that's an inch thick and beat the dog shit. I just not mess it. I couldn't imagine hurting him. Like, sometimes as a dad, you you hurt their feelings, and you're like, oh, God, he crushes you. You're like, fuck, you're like, really? Yeah. I couldn't imagine beating. Going that far, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, one time I, you know the dead finger? Are you familiar with the dead finger? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. Well, it's like a flick, you know, like a flick. Yeah. One time, he, my son must have been like five or something. And out of a out of a patience thing, I was like impatient on something, and he did something. I flicked him like right in the chest. And you know when when a forty year old man flicks a five year old, it probably stings a lot more than we can appreciate. And holy crap, I felt. I still feel bad about that. (laughs) He doesn't even remember it, but I sure as hell remember it. I said, I don't know how my mother and my stepfather could beat the crap out of us for so many years. So that when I to answer your question, when I held him. I committed to giving him a completely different life, And that's how it's been.
1: When, before becoming a dad, did you have to work through the fear of repeating the mistakes? I was reluctant. Did you have a fear of like, what if I end up being like them?
0: I was reluctant. I, I felt like I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be a hitter. I didn't think I needed to, I didn't I wasn't worried about that, but it's the the psychological stuff. That's hard not to do. Like the and the Marines would call them the fuck fuck games and the head games mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like that's mm-hmm. kinda like built in. And then the Marine Corps just reinforces it and, and helps you get better at it, right? Yeah. So which I'm not complaining about. I it's part of the standing time. operating procedure. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not complaining. I enjoyed every minute of the Marine Corps pretty much. I mean, I I I really enjoyed my time. But um the uh what I what I do think a lot of times is like I remember I remember boot camp. You remember like the drone truck like the, they dump all the stuff and everybody be kind of like in panic mode and they were in like the head games and apart. like they and stuff apart.
1: Yeah.
0: Like I was totally comfortable with that. Like literally when I was five, six, seven, nine, my mother would wake up and open our drawers at like one in the morning and just dump them and vacuum your room and make you unfold all your stuff. It was really messy, weird. So like I was really like I think mentally prepared. You were living boot
1: camp for 15 years.
0: Yeah, I was like, I was like, yeah, like, I was, this is all crazy. you got. Yeah, I was like, fine. I was like, no, 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 mindset later on in life, I realized, you know, the guys who are from like a normal family, um, that must have been like horrific. Like, I'm always like, boot camp's not terrible. I mean, I, I like to run, I like to do push ups, no big deal. But like, I was like, like the head games must have been really heavy on people who come from loving, normal family. <laughs>
1: And for Not me, the, the I never really had a lot of adversity in my life. So when I went to boot camp, it was it was a shock. But mm-hmm. emotionally, I I was always more. F- what got me was uh, the people that almost had a chip on their shoulder, or they went in with an edge of anger. And I was always bullied in high school, and never really worked through all those feelings. And mm-hmm. a lot of that just kind of resuppressed it. And I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast, but it kind of all hit me hard. We were up north at Camp Pendleton, and I don't remember what triggered it, but there was just a moment where it was just like all circulating down, and we were outside eating Emery for our, our meal, and I just started crying. I lost focus of what they were saying, and then I got us in trouble. And then it, it, it was really, it was probably the only time I cried in boot camp was the outside eating this Emery, where it was just emotionally, I was just feeling overwhelmed and not accepted. And that was kind of like a pivot point because in this, the, um, uh, I'm what's the leader of the platoon. It's not the squad leaders, but the guide, the guide kind of like stepped in and he really mentored and said like, this isn't how a family treats someone. So like that really was a pivot point (laughs) that allowed me to feel like I could belong. But before that, I just never felt like this was me. And, um, it was probably just part of the growth that I had to go through because I, jo- I was two weeks away from joining the air force and the Marine recruiter had a bouncy house at our church picnic. And <laughs> my mom wanted me to make sure I was explore- exploring all my options. So she's talked to him first. I talked to him next talking to him in uh, high school, two weeks, two days later. And then two weeks later, I'm raising my right hand for the Marine Corps. So for me, it was, <laughs> it was really a dare to be great moment. And I was the least likely voted guy to go to the Marine Corps probably. And I did That's it. Awesome. So I was always up against this, uh, Maybe I didn't feel like I was supposed to be there, but by the end of my four years, I definitely felt like I was supposed to be there. It was just, this was the challenge that I needed for that moment and to kind of break down those barriers. But and that's uh, awesome. camp was really hard for me uh, in a lot of different ways, but on, when I, it all accumulates at the end there when you graduate and all of the misery that you gain throughout it goes away and it's all, uh, it's all worth it in the end.
0: Well, wow, That's awesome, man. I mean I'm glad you took that challenge well, how great is that I mean because you're such a nice guy and you're contributing so much and a lot of that is because of that damn bouncy castle
1: yeah exactly it's great it, it was really like a complete 90 degree turn and then um and I had crossed the marines off because I thought they were just a bunch of grunts and I knew I didn't want to be a grunt and uh then I started talking that marine rec- and he was the number one recruiter in Wisconsin three years in a row so the odds were against me from the moment I said hello yeah uh but it was it was just um, I wanted the easy way with the Air Force, but then choosing the harder path, which I've never really done in my entire life, was really something that kind of um, I took a break after the Marine Corps because I got lost. But it's now with this podcast, I'm continuing to choose that harder path of trying to figure out more, push myself, push my physical limits to pass my mental limits. Um, when do you did you feel when you joined the military that you joined to gain an identity as a man. Like that was where you wanted to go to the school of being a man or what that definition was like. Did you have any doubts in that area?
0: I didn't get a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't, I've never put any thought to that exact notion of gain and identity under those terms. Um, I definitely identified with what I saw in the posters of what I wanted to be like, that's when like the poster of like, you know, this recon dude coming out of the water. Like he's got his K bar upside down his M sixteens coming out of the water. I was like, Oh yeah, I totally, I'm totally going to meet that guy. Which And that was <laughs> when they
1: had the guys climbing the mountains out in like Utah and turning oh. into a Marina and top type commercials.
0: I think that was actually pre that. that? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think we were pretty much 90. I joined in 93. I, I graduated with a uh, Beverly Hills. Oh yeah. Style. You were definitely
1: so, then way though. Yeah. I got my, yeah, email. that
0: was, yeah. But uh, <laughs> we had such good marketing, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't overtly, I go to find identity. I went for what I thought what a man would be maybe in the same, maybe that's the right way to put it. But I, that's what I, a man was. I mean, i watched every John Wayne movie and every Clint Eastwood movie and every war movie, and, you know, that just resonated with me, especially with that aggro situation I had. And, sort of an unruly thing. I thrived, I thrive under control. I, didn't, I mean, I was like this close to being like a, a model prisoner <laughs> or this way. And I mean, everything in my life and everything I was told was going down that way. Literally, literally, literally told that. And I kind of had a sense. that That's where I was going. I mean, but I really didn't do any crime. I didn't, I didn't, I was like a, I, I was a varsity soccer player as a freshman, yeah. and got moved. But uh, well, I'm sure I, it,
1: like, growing up crying got you beat, so you were just conditioned mentally to hold that in.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Like you just never gave oh. yourself permission because that got you in trouble, so you just never created pathways in your brain to probably just process raw emotion like that all the time because it oh. would get your dad frustrated, and if that was something that triggered him, then make them uncomfortable. Then you just, Oh,
0: they just kicked me out all the time. Like I literally, that I, in my sophomore year in high school, I lived in my backyard in a tent for like eight months. They, they would let me in the house. And just because I argued, I did argue, but I don't like, I, I still don't like, I'm a horrible employee. Yes. You know, way. you don't
1: consider that for with your son when he starts arguing with you that like you're you going
0: to, you know, <laughs> gets, I, but I will, when he, when he starts pushing I'm trying to find this balance. I will find what I am now is I'm consciously aware of this breaking point because of my macro partner, who who, she did leave the room. My macro partner, Emma, is what I saw my stepdad do to his boys is he broke the spirit. Like he just totally broke their spirit. So I think you got to find a balance and keep the spirit, but just instill vision and discipline. Don't you can't break them. You can't make them like just just slugs who are just going to line up and. I mean, my brother did not do that, but um, you, you must keep their fighting spirit, their their drive, and um, not not force them to maintain a safety net. And mm-hmm. um, so that, that's the trick I got to work out with my son as he grows up. Right now, he's pretty malleable; like he doesn't push back too much.
1: Yeah. Well, I've heard a statistic, like by the age of like seven, 60 or 70% of their personality is determined.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're
1: you're, you're on the, I'm sure the teens is just naturally rebellion, but a lot of who he is today is just going to come out when he's on the other side of pushing back on life. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I always ask myself and always wonder if, you know, if, I feel like I'm a pretty decent dad as a, for a young boy but will I be a good dad when he's a teen? So I ask other dads that question. Like I run a dad, I started a dad's Facebook group in my town, it's called Bangkok Dad's Headquarters. And it's just dads who need to talk about stuff and just, you know, it could be anything from business to community to activities to parenting. And we just, you know, we just throw two cents at each other and sound off without, without, you know, spouses involved. It's just, it's a good little thing. And that's that's something we were recently talking about is, is like, are you a better dad as it raising a young boy or young kids or a better dad as old kids, older kids, teenagers? And because we've got dads of all levels in our group. And uh, it's a really interesting thought that I'm aware of now. And that's at least I'm aware of it, that as he gets older, you're aware of the concern and you can kind of map it out.
1: Being in Thailand, you might appre- appreciate this kalahism. I often equate to when you become aware of something. It's like someone snapped their fingers and an elephant just appeared in your in your in your foresight. This elephant was always there; you just couldn't mm. see it. And then, yeah. the more awareness you become, you essentially get surrounded by a herd of elephants, and they're ginormously massive. And you can't just push them; you have to deal with them and almost work through them. And that's when they go away. But lots of times I remember when I just first started self-help stuff, like I was just overwhelmed because I was being aware of a lot of stuff, but Mm. then surrounded by elephants and then you're overwhelmed because like these elephants didn't used to be there, but now they are. It's like, now I can't even see straight anymore. And that can also be overwhelming as dads when you start learning all these uh, interesting things that makes it like, or you wake the first time you wake up and be like, wow, this kid's life really is on me. I better not mess this up. Like that is itself is an elephant. Like, oh man, how do I do that? How do I mess with that?
0: Oh yeah, that that was my first. That that very thought was I didn't really even get it. That you know this is you know this is it. Like this is your responsibility until like the next day after my son was born. Just your kids, kind of like euphoric and kind of high and just happy-go-lucky, and then we're washing the, the nurses teaching us how to wash his head, wash him in the sink, like at the, the sink of the hospital. And then she's talking about how to not ears, you know, how you learn how to watch a baby. And at that moment, I was like, oh, oh, he's coming home. Well, like you knew it, but you didn't know it. And you're like, oh, this is my mind. Yeah, this
1: bag of <laughs> molecules that's somehow crying at me is now it's it's coming home with us. And uh, we yeah. it's, it's going to need to be something it to it. can't watch itself. <laughs> yeah, it can't do anything by itself.
0: It sounds so stupid, but that kind of hits you as a new dad. You're like, oh, oh, oh."
1: and you didn't. I mean, you're primarily focused on your wife when she's pregnant, and you deal with it. Okay, you're going to be a dad, but you're like, I feel like a mom is working through that entire nine month period because they're building an intimate bond already with that child before they even meet it. Dad's, it's there's literally we're just kind of hanging out and.
0: Maintaining the nest is what we're. I think we're doing. Yeah. Just maintain. Let her remain comfortable. No, no. stress.
1: Keeping yeah. the nesting at bay. Keeping her stress list at bay. Doing whatever she needs to, to keep uh, things organized. But yeah. you don't really ever really process that thought. Sometimes maybe in the ultrasound, but it's so quick during the ultrasound that you don't really ever. It doesn't really sink in. Um, yeah. and I there was something. Uh, for our first two kids, we found out what the sex was during the ultrasound, but the last one, we had one of everything. So we had two boy and a girl first and I didn't realize it, but when you rob yourself of the emotion of finding out at the time when they're born, like it's like a, a bomb of emotions. Cause you're excited that, Oh my gosh, it's a girl or a boy. You're excited cause you've just seen your baby. But at the same time that you're going through that, you're holding someone that you created, like going back, I probably would have waited for all three because I only cried for my last one. Because it was just so overwhelmingly at the same time, you're finding out all those different things. So Nice, man. It's a a big one to to wrap your head around. When you, and I I think the part where you're talking about uh, trying to figure out, are you a good dad? Are you going to be a good teen? I think when I think of my son and when I think of what he's going to need or what my daughters are going to need, honestly, I think the one thing that messes teens up the most is they don't have a safe place to talk about what's going on in their head. So as adults, we already have this, we have an inner voice and it's usually this monkey brain saying a lot of horrible things that aren't actually true. And as a teenager, I think this voice is the first time they truly get introduced that this is something that's there and life is happening and they have third world problems, but these are first world problems for them at the same time that they're super important. And they They, they, it doesn't matter whether you consider it stupid. I mean, this life or death that someone doesn't like them and not having a safe place to come talk to you about that. And I've heard it said that like, always listen to your kids when they're younger on the the small silly things so that later in life, they come to you with the big things. And I think that's just one of the core things that I think, or at least what I'm prepping for is, um, just going to bed at night. We, I've been, we school's back in, so we're in kind of a good routine I just do bedtime talk. I want to just them to be able to talk about their day and we talk about nonsense of nothingness. Mm. Um, but I want them just to feel comfortable that they can talk to me. And last year, my daughter was having problems at school and uh, there was a great book called uh, Someday A Bird Will Poop On You. And it's essentially just that at some point, no matter how good of a day you're having, a bird will poop on you. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And so we call this bird poop talk. So we would talk about the people that pooped on her during the day that just came into her life and just pooped on her and how to deal with it and work through it and try different things and what it felt like, what emotions, giving them emotions, labels. I feel like that's just some of the simplest things we can do to prepare them as teens, because there's just a lot of raw emotion being a teenager. And if you don't have someone that you trust to talk to, you just internalize it and you feel broken. I think that's what a lot of teenagers do. And I think that's what triggers a lot of teen suicide is that they just they internally recognize that they're broken because they can't make sense of what they're feeling and then well, suicide takes over
0: suicide i mean on the bell curve i mean it's the far i mean let's just say we hope it's the extreme it must be the extreme but um i would say like most of the kids out i don't know most whatever but i mean just like in my case it was just like constantly you know, lots of just lots of just being upset and depressed and and not like there was no safe place. Other than when I moved into the foster home, the guy who ran it was a former Marine, Vietnam Marine named Tommy Gahan. Just a toughest old old guy. like in the 60s or 70s. Like and I, I loved him dearly. He went to my boot camp graduation and he like that much of an important man to me. And um he'd as much as hug you as he'd pick you up and slam you against the wall for back talk. Mm-hmm. and uh but it, he didn't come from a place of aggression he came from a place of this is not how you behave yeah and it, and but our home he always would come like would, would hold you and say he would hold you as a, as a as a boy i was held by him many times very emotional time in my life and tommy would just hold you and say i love you this is your home and you had major pride in his home we don't we didn't we didn't treat the home with disrespect we didn't curse in the house we didn't. And he had nine boys, all parolees. I was the only non-parolee. Um, and uh, it, it was such a loving household. It, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was just an unbelievable thing. Our, the house, the home, his home, which started in a trailer when I first moved in. We live in a trailer with no, no running plumbing. Like we shit in a bag it was sort of a joke, but we shat in a bag. Like That was the thing. You, you were just prepping everything.
1: for Iraq.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, someday offline I'll tell you the story about leaving Iraq and the lamb dinner from Kuwait that we ate. <laughs> the whole the whole battery.
1: Next MIC next MIC.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> so so uh, and then we moved into a house. the state managed the state of Nevada managed to get him a uh, like a big house, like a old farmhouse in the middle of Fallon, Nevada, which is where I graduated high school, the big naval air station over there which is where my stepfather was stationed at that time. But I liked uh, about what you said
1: there is the, the hugging and so much Mm. of masculine society today, almost like the fact that I hugged you isn't something that most people think about. Um, But just in general for boys, like they need to feel their father's love and they need to like, I'll be reading a book to my son and he'll get snuggly under my arm and like he, they need that. And, That's so important to feel that just because when you go out into the world as a man to try to create your own life, you need to know that you had those deposits and that confidence. Cause I think that's where a lot of confidence comes from is that just that like men don't naturally love themselves. I think as they grow up and they need someone that kind of breathes in and validates that. And I think that's what you can do through love. And for you where you had the, the gap of where like, and maybe a gap, but where you had to kind of a switch you had to make of like, this isn't the behavior. Like he had a double-edged sword yet. He had to replace what you didn't get for most of your life. Mm-hmm. At the same time, set a different example. And it re- reminded me of an, an odd story, not odd, but disconnected a little bit, but no one really knows about it at Columbine. So it was that first high school shooting that we had in like 1998. But the story of Columbine that nobody knows about is the principal was at the high school at that time. I mean, this is pretty much the worst day for any principal ever that when you have that, and he was like the very first one, he took it upon himself to walk every kid through all the way to the end of their senior year. That was in the school system when that shooting happened. And wow. he, he went in with a message, like every first day of school, they all linked a lock together and it was a big giant chain that they made. And it was a symbolized, like we are all in this together. If one of these chains breaks? We are no longer whole. And if we don't work on this together as a single chain, essentially they all knew what would happen, but we do it together and we lift people up. Like he literally turned that school around. And I, when I've heard the story about what this guy did. I mean, he literally transformed that school in a place of hope and love and community from the worst tragedy that America had ever seen in high school at that point. And I think that's a little bit like what your that mentor was doing there. He was kind of re-bringing you guys back together that this is how you act as a, as a team and as a unit and probably gave you some of the very first default Marine Corps programming that you took into
0: camp. <laughs> yeah, it was great. We, we literally raked the rocks because we didn't have any grass. <laughs> I literally hated raking rocks. rocks.
1: That was the most... We talk about mind games. That one was just like, why?
0: No, man, they, they, they pile up. You got to wear that shit away. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> just... I was in Africa when Tommy died and um I I I was doing an embassy duty thing and you just I mean because he wasn't family or no there's there's only five marines in the whole country and you just can't bail on mm-hmm. you know 20 of the unit can't just take off because in the marine corps eyes you know a friend died and you know how they work so I was very uh very, I was very upset when Tommy died I still I still miss him quite quite dearly now I don't haven't had any communication with my own mother or stepfather for decade minimum.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so one thing that we talked about in the podcast and I think you're doing it whether you realize it or not is, is legacy. Mm. Have you thought, ever thought about legacy in your son?
0: Um, not overtly. Um, I just want him to be, I mean, at the end of the day, I want them to have a relationship with me because I have none. When I look to my left of my biological family, I have zero. So I don't, I don't, I, I'm on my own 100%. My wife's got a great family um, and they've taken me on fabulously, but um, I don't have anywhere. But I have my family, is my wife and my son and her family, but blood, none, zero. And that's um, a totally they, they they did that. Now I always want my son, I guess legacy wise, to have a home with me and, and know where I am. Want to come see me? Be excited to come see me? Say, Dad, come see me. I mean, that would make me happier than anything. Because literally, the last thing I would ever want him to do is meet my mother. Ever. Mm-hmm. It just she's too dangerous. She's too, too. She's too dangerous. She, she's too heavy. Yeah. For probably ninety five. I mean, statistically,
1: you shouldn't even be here. I mean, like the the fact that you're here is already a statistical oddity. So, like, you want I I can I agree that it would be uh, yeah. There's no upside.
0: Nope. I want him to be with me. I mean, I want him to go out and I want to. We want to push him out and say, "Go after after high school, take off, man. Go for a year. You know, take off. Go be lost, man. You'll be fine. If you get in trouble, I'll get you. Don't worry." (laughs) <laughs> i don't care what happens i'm not going to judge it you. you'll be fine i'm just going to bring you back to safety zone and we'll fix whatever your whole you're all of your 20s i mean i, I take gary v's approach on it I mean, you can just you can blow it man you, you have so much time to to, to figure like it out 30, like i yeah i mean i mean just go get it done and like i was never guided that way nobody ever said to me you know, you can try to start a business or you can any, anything there. I mean, it was basically 18. We were told, we were told that when you're 18 and we, you know, we were still in high school, I mean, I was not, I was out already, but like from as far back as 14 or 13, it was clear at 18 years old, you're either paying rent or you're on your own. And like, I mean, how can you say that to you? are like, you're basically on notice, get the hell out ASAP. Yeah. How could you say, it? I don't, I don't want, I mean, I want my son to go live, but I, I don't want to expedite it, <laughs> you know, mm. at all. That's why like what you're saying, your, you know, your time in bed with your kids and like my wife and I would rotate with him. Like one night my wife will be in bed with him reading a book and I'm, I'm often, we often, we used to read a lot of books together, but now we just, he's an avid reader on his own. So when him and I are, in you know, putting him in the bed, um, we're just shooting the breeze, you know. Just you know, talking about million, you know, whatever topic of the day. Like last night, we're from his bedroom, and I got the laser pointer, and we're talking about Christmas. I'm like, we got the laser pointer across his bedroom, we're pointing. Think about going to Finland. <laughs> we're pointing. To, or next year, is summer, we're gonna go. Maybe in Seattle, we're gonna go to the Badlands, and then go down to Colorado. So we're mapping it out, and that we're just you know shooting the breeze, you know, planning and doing, you know, getting excited about what's next, you know.
1: And I think, uh, kids do this, I think probably right up until seven or eight. And I think then parents kind of break them of it, but they, they kids dream naturally. And I think as parents, it's our, it's our obligation to make sure they keep dreaming. Cause that's really when you, you, you learn to settle. And that's yeah. really what makes a lot of Americans miserable today is because at some point they stopped dreaming that anything was possible for their life. And they just settled with the deck of cards that they were handed from the dealer. And they never say like, okay, I'm folding. I'm going to retry this again. And yeah. when you went on your trip this summer, I was uh, really inspired. And this is something I want to do with my kids is just take them through life in different views. Like the one thing that you're giving them there and it's probably very similar. I've always, I often say in the podcast is I like, I want my kids to go to India and see someone smile with nothing. Because yeah. in 2019, that's a skill that, a lot of people don't have that they don't understand how someone can smile without an iPhone, and that's what your I mean your kids. I mean Thailand's not necessarily the most uh, poverty is probably prevalent in lots of places, and there's probably lots of people in Thailand that are smiling and happy. That's what I remember about Asia is everybody's excited and happy, and they've got nothing.
0: And, pretty happy, real lucky, yeah.
1: And that's an important lesson for your own well being, and mm-hmm. you're giving that view to your son. When you travel the U.S., you're meeting different people. And the one that, if you could maybe uh, just tell a little bit more, was when you were in Arizona and that flag was falling.
0: Oh, man. So we were, I just gave my son a map. We left Vegas, and I said, we need to go here, here, and here. And I just said, no interstates, just highways and country roads, all the way to Buena Vista, Colorado. So it was a long way. And I gave him a Rand McNally. He's never seen a Rand McNally. So, uh, so, by, he was a navigator, no technology at all, and um, he did an excellent job. But we we're going through this place, uh, um, this place in, in, in Arizona, and we're just we're just balling through it at you know 100 miles an hour, just on some highway in the middle of nowhere. And off to my right, I just see like really quickly like a whole bunch of flags, like American, like in the middle of the desert, like just middle of the desert. And a um, whole bunch of these flags. And I'm, I'm like, wow, you see that quiller? And we, my son's quiller. And we just kept on driving. And then I know in my the picture there was flags that had fallen down in my mind. There's hundreds of these flags. And I was like, oh, man, I, I can't. I can't. I like, I can turn the car around, drive back, and my son and I park. And it's a Navajo war memorial, war veterans graveyard. And somebody had taken the time to put an American flag. On every single grave, and there were hundreds of graves, all the way back to the Korean War, World War II. So we spent a good couple hours walking around this rattlesnake pit, <laughs> fixing American flags and putting them back up, and zip tying them and using baling wire and throughout My that 50 whole time, cord? whatever we could find. Yeah, like whatever we could find on the ground, a lot of baling wire by hand. You know, we did, I didn't. We wanted a rental car. I don't have anything. And um, but the whole time my son just kept asking questions. He's like, where's that? What, what is that? Like, this is, this guy, like it might be a Navy chief from the Korean war or Vietnam or somebody. And what's a chief, you know? And, and then I talk about, you know, a chief, by Navy chief, not an Indian chief, but a Navy chief. And we're talking about, you know, that's what, like an E6 or E7 and above. And these people are really honored by, by Americans in general, then deeper by the Navajo people who are add huge value to our own country, even though they probably could kind of have a grudge against us. I mean, there's a lot of really good
1: good reason not to serve in their country.
0: Yeah. A lot of amazing conversation about, um, that, that, that we were able to experience just by taking that break and putting the flags back up as as many as humanly possible. I mean, even Um, the
1: code talkers, isn't something that a lot of people know about that, that's one of the best kept secrets of World War II. In the-
0: and we were able to kind of walk through all that. And him and I, I was able, I mean, I, I had the opportunity in the in my Marine Corps career to, to have a couple of Marine Corps balls where a co-talker was there, like telling us his experience. So I was able to share that with my son at, at his graveyard. And I'm so glad we did that. It was a really, really important moment for him and I. And I, I'm super glad that I listened to my... The little voice in my head and it says stop, go back, and then it turned into something quite, quite magical for the, for the two of us. I'll never forget that. Normal will I.
1: I would say if I were to extrapolate the legacy that you were creating and the, what that lesson taught him, what I hear from it is you taught him that everybody matters, even the people that aren't here today, and that those people have a story and. That legacy of service, just in that simple moment, of I think that will show up in his life as being the guy that helps someone that falls instantly without even hesitating.
0: Because- it's so funny that you brought that up, man. I mean, because we were like the whole conversation that we were having was about these are all my brothers and sisters. Like, and we just left Vegas a few days ago, went to this Marine Corps bar, and it's called the Leatherneck Bar. And I walk in there, and everybody knows me, and I don't know them at all, but it's that common thread. You know, where it's just, and my son's like, man, these, Dad, these guys talk to you like they know you. I said, I know. We kind of know each other, but we don't. Yep. And then fast forward several days later, and we're going through this graveyard, and I'm literally able to say, I don't know these people, but I know these people.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good trip. You, I I would love to follow up in 10 years, because I bet if you ask him when he's 20 and what he's doing, that moment has some influence on some portion of his view of where he fits into the world. Oh, and I think when I think of what as an obligation as a dad, a lot of, you can mess up a lot of things, but as long as your kids have a very wide view of what's possible or the widest view of the American dream, I think that's one of the, just the best gifts that we can give them. And that's what I love. When I was observing your road trip on Instagram, I was like, you're giving them a view of one that, a dad can do this for a month that it is possible. It's not something that you just have to get stuck into an eight to five belief that it's not possible that you can meet people that you can talk to people and still have things in common. You didn't die because you talked to people, which is something that a lot of people think is going to happen. Myself included five years ago. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) like, these are just all little small little deposits that when you travel with your kids outside of your normal life, that I think you're helping them figure out how they fit into the world, but you can't see that from inside their life. When you're living your regular routine or whatever you're doing, that's not teaching them who they are and how they fit in. But when you experience life and different people and just stopping at and Navajo Code talkers you have no idea how that story is going to impact them at such a young age. And like that is helping him figure out more of those feelings where he fits in, and that's the best gift you can give them is because a lot of kids graduate and they have no idea what they're going to do His 12 years of school isn't going to cut it. Even if you have perfect grades and you yeah. can't just go to school and go through the process because then you're going to get the American dream of, oh, I graduated. Now I got debt. Now I got to get a house. Now I got to get married. Now I got yeah. kids. <laughs> Little you know, you turn 35 and you're like, uh, I'm pretty much lost and I hate everything about my life. But <laughs> if you do these things correctly, I think you can give them the gift of, of knowing how they fit into the world. Because I think that's what a lot of kids just failure to launch is is they just have no exposure to how they fit in and they feel lost and never accepted.
0: Good analysis, Ben. Makes sense.
1: Yeah. I was that was going through all my head when I was like, this this kid is going to um I've described the legacy a couple of times as Steve Jobs talked about making a dent in the universe. And I would say he did. And I'm trying to re- relate it to that the universe is a wall. And as veterans, we have a big, big chance to make a big dent in that wall. And essentially, when, if you craft it right with your kids, you want someone to walk by this wall and say, that was the Buddha wall. That was the Buddha dent right there. He was here. And your son made it that much deeper because you gave him the tools of your life and your experiences. And just, I mean, think of you having the worst dad experience ever you showing up as the best dad experience, think how that's gonna show up as his dad in the next life. Like that dent's just gonna get keep getting deeper and deeper because you used the toolbox of your life to give him the best chance he had to go out there and do something with it.
0: Well, time will tell. I will tell we do, we're trying our day just to do the right thing.
1: <laughs> and that's all you can do is you just you put in the, the work and th- things don't always play out. There's, I mean, the kids will make their own choices at the end of the day. Um, right. But I, and I think this is what is special about military veteran dads is we just have a very special view of the world and giving that gift to our kids can really help them do bigger things in the world and create that change that we really need in this world because they've, been given a toolbox that most people have it
0: uh, absolutely and 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 for us military dads i think we have a we're, we're, we're so used to working at a fast pace that maybe we suffer from patience lack of patience yeah. i think maybe every parent has a patience problem but i think you know especially with us military folk that our patience may we, we expect you to be here like why aren't you here like why aren't why don't you ever why don't you got this shit figured out yet because like, you're five good you're not operating at a at a high visibility situation where your head's not on a swivel, you're distracted by the Pokemon. I mean, it's, it, it's 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 exercising that patience bone, and you know, getting the right amount of sleep as a dad um, and good sleep. Like I recognized after a good hard talk with my wife, uh, well over a year ago, was that like my patience was thin, super thin, and everybody was kind of seeing it. Um, And even though i would sleep i think because i was drinking a little too much for many i mean i I didn't drink until i joined the marine corps I drank like just drank all the time like all like every day have a couple of drinks and then the weekends you party and then you the marine corps is party time like big time and then um i never got into drugs but like but i never got in trouble with drinking i never got sick i never had i mean I, i drank myself to Puke plenty of times, but I mean, like I never like got in trouble, never got DUIs, and I just never mm-hmm. got caught or whatever. But um, I just realized that I'd given it enough of my time. That was it. Like I just said, okay, I've given this enough of my time, and when I got over that hump, I just decided, like, done, like no more of that. And um, I immediately realized how much more time. I had available, which opened up my 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 relaxed, my patience was totally different. I literally was bored for a long time. Like I like what what do I do with myself? Which mm-hmm. you know turned into more time with my son, more crazy ass activities, more um, more
1: adventures.
0: Time, more whatever. Yeah, we go camping here, we do all kinds of weird things, but just stuff together, whatever it is. I don't, I don't care what it is, it's just we try to spend time, but but instead, you know. You know, we used to go to pubs and, you know, watch a match or whatever. And that those days are gone, man. Like, they're just totally, totally gone. I'm so happy that somewhere along my line, I decided that's it. I gave it enough time. I gave booze enough time.
1: Mm-hmm. And you don't Before get any I time thought, back. So it's like it's uh, everyone you're trading for it and you never really.
0: Yeah. Man, now I'm liking the desserts too much. I got to cut off the fucking...
1: <laughs> well I didn't notice you were still looking pretty slender in your uh, your suit mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> good suit man like, that's a good thing about where I live you get a good suit cut
1: <laughs> yeah I was thinking I was like the SOB has got a really nice suit and I bet he didn't pay hardly anything for it
0: oh no no they're expensive but <laughs> yeah, a lot less expensive here than they are there i'd imagine but yeah it's,
1: and i'm sure there's just better service like you really probably have to look to get a hand tailored suit i'm sure yours was hand tailored right? oh yeah yeah
0: they're yeah. everywhere exactly yeah, there's, there's i don't no, even know where
1: i would find a hand tailored suit i probably the only place no, i can no, think of is the men's warehouse and that's really not hand tailored that's
0: yeah you throw a stick at a guy in sucumbit you'll get a suit maker
1: <laughs> yeah i get an interesting question i haven't asked it in a while um when your son's 30 at a bar talking with your friends about you as a dad and describing you, what do you want him to say?
0: Um, I want him to say, I hope he says that he loves me. I hope he says that he can't wait to see me next. I hope he says that, uh, I'm a good dad. I'm a friend. I'm a friend. I'm a guide. I'm a mentor. I hope that's what he says. I mean, I'm there. That's what I hope he says. And I hope he feels, Mm -hmm. um, Without a doubt. I mean, that's, that was, I mean, literally when I, when he was born, that was my commitment to him was to, you know, change all of that stuff. Change the story forever. Totally. Like that, that history is dead. Pull up that
1: family tree and we're planting a brand new branch or new one right here.
0: Absolutely. And that's what I hope he, uh, he takes away from me for sure.
1: Well, I am convinced after this episode and following you for over a year that the Buddha dent is going to be pretty big because this family <laughs> tree is, is got uh, some strong roots in yes. failure as being a dad and the branches that are growing are going to be super strong. And I can only imagine as he goes out into the world to start his family, what he's able to do with the gifts that you gave him, it's going to be something
0: special. I'm for sure. Well, I thank you. I hope so too. I appreciate it, man.
1: Greg, if you can wrap up your wisdom as a dad for being a dad for nine years, what message do you want other dads to hear?
0: Be patient, be loving and kind, and play. Play a lot. Play a lot. Because you don't realize how fast that time burns. I can't believe he's already nine. And the more time we play, either building robo or ro- robots out of Lego or whatever we're doing, he loves it. I mean, you'll love it too, but he'll love it 20 times more.
1: entering their imagination that's another secret hack is i was i spent most of the afternoon today playing legos and building airplanes and my kids actually had left to go into another room and i was still there playing legos and my wife's like you're still such a kid because the kids have left and i'm still there building an airplane and i was like i love building airplanes i would do it (laughs) if we didn't have kids i'd probably have a set of legos (laughs) but like you're right that 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 time doesn't come back and i spent uh, my wife went to china for school and I spent 10 days as a single dad and I'm positive when I'm 50, that'll be the best 10 days I ever spent because man, it, it almost gave me a hangover. Cause like, I really wanted more of that. And yeah. it's, it goes by so fast and you've got to be there. you got to be present. And we didn't talk about much, but in the early episodes, I always would talk about kids, spell love T I M E. And at the end of the day, that's the only thing that matters is they just want your time just for today it was raining so our common thing is to go mall walking we went to the mall walked around with a bunch of senior citizens they ride the rides we get a pretzel and that's literally the, the they probably ask at least a 100 times a year to go mall walking like in the summer we go by the mall can we go mall walking it is literally just walking around the mall it's nothing super exciting but gosh damn it that they, they it is the best and oh it's so simple I'm sure you find the same thing that your son doesn't want something complicated. He just wants you to show up in their life. And and no matter what you're feeling inside your head, you are always the hero every time you walk into your kid's life. And never forget Absolutely. that because your, your inner voice can cancel that out. And all it takes is a good hug to, from your kids. Or maybe he, he says like, hey, dad, you're my hero. And like you're like, oh, man, bitch. I love it. Well, Greg, I really appreciated this. If, where people can find you if they want to connect more with the, the Jewelry Republic.
0: So um, my Instagram handle is the Jewelry Republic and all of the Facebook and all that's all the Jewelry Republic. Um, now okay. if you want, my personal stuff is ginger whiskers. So if you wanted to follow my son and I, um, we're all over ginger whiskers on Instagram as well. So uh, that's, that's how you get a hold of me. And I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm way available to t- talk to any dad if they have any questions about, you know, maybe traveling overseas. I'm an expert at it. So if any one of your parents that you're talking any one of the dads you've got, they want to travel overseas, a lot of fear, like, Oh my God, I got to get shots. Are they going to get sick or whatever, man? Hospitals abroad are so much better than hospitals in America. <laughs> like it's totally different. Like you can break your leg and go get it fixed for 300 bucks and first class hospital.
1: <laughs> yeah. It really the hardest thing is just getting over the jet lag. Once you get over that, it's all up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome actually. <laughs> it's pretty good. And
1: uh I I am a big plane nerd and I always look up at the sky and I I have an app on my phone that can literally tell me where every airplane's going. And uh I'm oh I think it's the idea of an airplane of the freedom and the choice that it gives you and I I like I'm I love international travel. Even a trip to Australia that's 17 hours like wow, that is like trip. that that trip and that um just that feeling of going somewhere that's unknown like that is an addicting feeling that the Marine Corps gave me that feeling because it sent me to Okinawa and nobody in my life or nobody in my family owned a passport prior to that so <laughs> I have something that nobody else in my family has of seeing perspective that. and being addicted to traveling on a plane for 13 hours
0: well get and your guys over here and I'll help you uh, get sorted for a week in Thailand you'll leave with a nice suit
1: I'll probably do two weeks though. And actually my perfect dream is to turn the business of the podcast into a business, but my wife's a teacher. So she's always going to be a teacher, but I would absolutely love to vacation for those two months out of the year during the summer and just leave Mm. home that I work for Mm. 10 months out of the year in the podcast. The podcast still keeps publishing while I'm traveling. But for those two months, I'm just dad and we don't come back for those two months until it's time for go back to school.
0: That's a great idea, man. There's a lot of good digital nomads in this part of the world. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, and a lot of them. One of them is a teacher. Usually, and the teachers here get paid pretty well. At the international schools.
1: Mm-hmm. Just gotta keep widening my view of the American dream. <laughs> yeah, and being friends with you, like being friends with you, it's uh, it's pretty easy to expand it.
0: Well, I'm coming out to your neck of the woods here sooner or later because I need to talk to Navy Paddles and come see you. Well, if I'm in that part of the woods, I'll come over to you.
1: Well, Navy Paddles, you got to fly up almost up to Minneapolis, though, because they're up. Uh, um,
0: to there. me, that's like this. I mean, that's not a big deal.
1: True, but I'm at the, <laughs> I mean, I'm at the southern border of Wisconsin. They're at the yeah, northern border.
0: That 45-minute flight, right?
1: Yeah, so either if – if you do O'Hare, I'm like two hours, but if you do Minneapolis, <laughs> you're probably like 45 minutes from Navy Paddles. So – Depends which airline your preference to. Maybe Minneapolis would be a little bit easier to get to. I'm
0: cheap, man. I'm cheap. Whoever's flying the cheapest, most direct route in economy is the is how I roll. <laughs> I'm loyal to no airline.
1: No, loyal to no airline. I have I'm loyal to some what's that, but at the end of the day I go wherever the, the money goes and uh, Yeah. I yeah. don't being a plane nerd, I am not aware of I don't think there is a direct flight from even Los Angeles to Bangkok, is there?
0: There used to be. Used to um, be. Bangkok Airways used to fly direct um, and I'm I, thinking I, you
1: mostly have to connect in Japan right
0: yeah uh, well yeah there's a whole bunch of little uh, Japan
1: or maybe China for one random China, one or in China. China.
0: but I took a flight once from Bangkok all the way over the over the top of the world into LaGuardia right into New York one shot one flight and I got off the plane I landed the plane left the same day, when you leave here, you arrive on the same day over on that, on your side of the world. And I landed at like uh, nine o'clock in the morning and I couldn't check into my hotel for this thing I was doing in New York. And uh, so I was like, damn, I had like five hours to kill, but I was feeling pretty good. And I'm walking around Central Park and there'd been people that lined up for days, like on this, like it was on some main, I don't know New York very well, like some main Avenue, fancy, fancy Avenue in New York. And um, I just like walked up to it. People were like lining up for the, the Pope was in town, and he drove by and Pope Benedict. He cruised down on his little Pope mobile, and there's like these basically a m- bunch of Hispanic people who had, like you know huge the last wow. salvage for the Christian faith yeah. of the Catholic. Faith. Like, um, like they're all like fan. I'm like, oh hey, he drove like from from like me to the computer screen. He's like, hey, the Pope drove by. I'm like, yeah, what a good morning, <laughs> what morning Pope. Yeah. It, had, it, doubled the helicopter. it was a crazy experience, but I that, that was, yeah, that was kind of a funny selfie.
1: <laughs> well, Greg, I really appreciate this and I can't wait to see what you and your son are up to next year. And I'm even more excited to see in the world that the the Buddha's go out there and do. <laughs>
0: Thanks brother. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast and I love what you're doing with the uh, military veteran dad. It's so cool. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show,
1: and I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet on iTunes, I would really appreciate it, and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.